All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, Baruch Haba, welcome to Remnant of Israel, Sharit Israel, Messianic Synagogue. I hope you enjoyed your seven-minute schmooze that stretched into about, I don't know, 11 or 12 minutes. All right, we're not, we're not always very precise with that. What we are going to be doing today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. Um, I'm not necessarily going to give a sermon, per se. Uh, instead, what I want to do is I want to spend some time uh, just discussing some, some basic apologetic methods, right, and how, you know, and, and interacting with people, right, in, in, a, in a fashion such that, would be, uh, that would be winsome and correct, right, in such a way as to, uh, you know, to defend the faith, to uh, advance the gospel, advance the kingdom, right? So, um, please, please have your Bibles ready, right? Because I'm not going to do the reading today. You're going to do the reading, right? It's a day of rest. I get to rest and tell you to do all the work, right? So, uh, have your Bibles ready and be, please be prepared to talk and interact Right, I uh, I think this is an important topic. So, um, and I I want you, I I hope that you share my opinion in this matter. Right, and I will. Um, I I think I can convince you if you don't fairly quickly. Anyways, also, um, I need uh, I need a, a volunteer. Aline, thank you for volunteering. I appreciate it. Um, so that people can talk and be heard, right? I would like you to run this, you know, there'll, there'll be people who, who uh, want to talk and engage, right? So that everyone can hear, and so that if anyone's watching on the live stream, or for posterity, right, because I believe these are recorded as well, right? So you know, take this around so that uh, people can talk and be heard. Fair enough? Okay. You, ladies and gentlemen, when you speak, please feel free to speak directly into the microphone and speak and enunciate loudly enough that the mic picks it up properly so that everyone can hear. Fair enough? Also, uh, you will please, uh, when, we're, when we're having some of these interactions, please feel free to introduce yourself, right? I'm not good with names, right? I'm absolutely terrible with names. And also, so the... Uh, so that anyone watching on live stream can, you know, just use your first name, so that anyone watching on live stream can understand what's going on, uh, please introduce yourself when, when, uh, when we're interacting. Ground rules clear? Any questions? Good? Okay. I got one thumbs up, so one response. So one person is uh, uh, at least conscious right now, and that's good. Aline, what's your question? What's that? Yeah, it's not on yet. Let's go ahead and turn it on. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Okay. Well, and also, let's see. My off is this. Yeah, so this is working, right? This one that you guys will be using is working. It also has a mute function, so you can just tap the button. Now it's on. Happy green light. 
Now you've all been instructed in the proper use of the microphone. Right? Again, nice and close to your mouth. It doesn't work as well back here. But when it's nice and close to your mouth, it works. Right? Okay. Good. So, a discussion today on apologetics. I'm happy you guys are here. Thank you, Eileen, for your work in this matter. Eshet Chayil, right? A woman of valor. Oh, let's see. All right, so, apologetics. What is apologetics, right? When I, when I walk up and I bump into someone and, oh, I'm sorry, is, is, is that apologetics? No, that is not apologetics. Good answer. That is not apologetics. What is apologetics? Can anyone, is anyone in the mood to give me a, at least a, something of a definition of apologetics? And Aline will bring you the microphone so you can speak. But don't everybody speak at once. No? All right. Aline, back there. Yes, sir. A definition of apologetics, please. My name is David. A best way to understand apologetics is that it means a defense. It's where someone defends what they believe uh, with uh, logical arguments. Excellent. Thank you, sir. David, I appreciate that. Yes, we are, we are defending, and we are defending in a manner, you know, this, this is like a courtroom defense. Right? I'm standing up, I'm giving a defense for the things I believe. And logic, right? Yes, we are using logic to defend what we believe. All right? Thank you, sir. So, why should we do this? All right? I think that's a good question. And I'm going to let uh, the Almighty, blessed be He, give us some answers. So, will you please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 4? Deuteronomy 4, we're going to read, someone's going to read for us. Verses 1 through 9. Will someone please volunteer? And the sooner you volunteer, the less time that you have to spend listening to me. Okay, Naomi is going to read for us. Naomi, please. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 9. As soon as you're ready, nice and loud for us, please. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I commanded you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the hand you are entering, the land you are entering, to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this nation is, what, is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? 
Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Excellent. Thank you, Naomi. I hope you noticed, right, that our behavior, specifically our behavior following Torah, is supposed to cause other people to look at us and say, wow, this is an interesting people, and wow, this people serves an amazing God. Okay, so our behavior and our reasoned defense of that behavior is an outreach method. Do we agree? I mean, is, is, that a, is that a reasonable conclusion to draw from this text? Okay, will someone please open the scriptures to 1 Peter? 1 Peter 1, 8 through 17. While that's going on, will someone else please open to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Who's going to read the 1 Peter verse for me? I'm sorry, I, miss, uh, I misspoke. It's 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Was that, you got that for me? Okay. Who's got, uh, who's going to have 2 Corinthians? Okay, fair enough. And um, I want one person to get uh, Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. Okay, fair enough. All right, Jessica, as soon as you're mic'd up and ready to go, do it for us. Finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tenderhearted, humble-minded. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. It's for this reason you were called, so that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who loves life, wanting to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek shalom and pursue it. For the eyes of Adonai are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of Adonai is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not be afraid or worry about their threats. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet with humility and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that wherever, or I'm sorry, whatever you are accused of, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Messiah may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if it's God's will, than for doing evil. Excellent. Thank you, Jessica. I appreciate that. Eileen, there's your next victim. All right, so we've all heard the passage, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you, all right? And if we've heard that over and over again, right, that, that word that to give a defense or to give a reason... That Greek word is apologia, 
right? This is where we get apologetics, right? However, I hope that you noted that the command given, right? And this is a command, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense, right? So this, this, so apologetics has to start from within, right? We're not going to be successful with apologetics if we have not done that first part, right? This is a two-part command, all right? We're here in a messianic synagogue, right? I don't think that I need to explain much more that there's a commandment here to always be ready to give a defense, and therefore we should follow it, right? I mean, I, if I was in some other denomination, I might have to explain why following commandments is relevant. Is there anyone who disagrees that following a commandment in the Scripture is something that we should do? If so, speak now, or forever admit that you were wrong. No? Okay. Chapter 10. Yes, please. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. And I, S-H-A-U-L, I don't know what that is, myself appeal to you we through the meekness and gentleness of Messiah, I, who am indeed lowly when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Two, but I pray that when I am present, I might not be bold with that bravery by which I think to be bold against some who reckon us as if we walked according to the flesh. Three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not fight according to the flesh. Four, for the weapons we fight with are not fleshly, but mighty in Elohim for overthrowing strongholds. Five, overthrowing reasoning and every high matter that exalts itself against the knowledge of Elohim, taking captive every thought to make it obedient to the Messiah. Six, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. Thank you, ma'am. All right, there's a lot there, right? The, the key point is that our, um, you know, if you heard that, our weapons are not worldly, right? But they are able to tear down these strongholds and what? Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All right? So in, in apologetics, you're going to see, you know, you, you will see the Richard Dawkinses of the world, right? Now, Dr. Dawkins is an amazing biologist, all right? But he's a terrible philosopher. And don't be afraid of him when he says these crazy things, right? Because our weapon is the truth, right? And the truth will win. Don't be afraid, right? Use the weapons that God has given you, all right? Let me, let me add a little bit to this. Of course, I'm not adding to the scripture, but I'm just making a point. When you're dealing with apologetics, here's a good rule of thumb. Never read a Bible verse, right? What do I mean by that? That's a strange thing to say. Never read a Bible verse? I thought we were supposed to read, read the Bible. Never read a Bible verse. What do I mean? This is the part where someone answers. What, is it, what does it mean when I say, never read a Bible verse? That sounds like a strange thing to say. Jessica, go ahead. 
Okay, sure. Atheists are, are, are aware of the Bible. All right? Be sure to read the Bible in context. All right? If you, if you hear something that, that is strange in the Bible, right? someone, you know, oh, well, didn't God say to do blah, blah, blah in the Bible? Get out your Bible, which hopefully you carry with you, right? If not, you've got your cool little, you know, I know that everyone has the cool little digital Torah scroll that you can carry around with you, right? Get it out and read the whole passage, right? Do not be afraid to do that. There's nothing in the scriptures of which we need to be afraid, all right? Our enemies need to fear the things that are in the scriptures, right? We need to be happy about the things that are in the scriptures, all right? So never read a Bible verse. Read it in context. Okay. Ma'am, if you please. This is going to be Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. But how can they call on someone if they haven't trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about someone if no one is proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim him unless God sends them? As the Tanakh puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those announcing good news about good things. The problem is that they haven't all paid attention to the good news and obeyed it for Yeshua says, Adonai, who has trusted what he has heard from us. So trust becomes comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through a word proclaimed about the Messiah. But I say, isn't it rather that they didn't hear? No, they did hear. Their voice has gone out throughout the whole world, and their words to the end of the earth. But I say, isn't it rather that Israel didn't understand? I will provoke you to jealousy over a non-nation, over a nation void of understanding. I will make you angry. Moreover, Yeshua boldly says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I became known to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all the day long I held out my hands to a people who kept disobeying and contradicting. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So. How is someone going to believe in God if, they, if that person hasn't heard of God? Right? Paul asks the question. He doesn't answer the question. The, the, the obvious answer to the question is that this person won't. Right? So every one of us is responsible to carry that knowledge to other people. Right? And people need this knowledge. Right? It's called the good news, for heaven's sake. Right? This is good news. People need to hear it. Right? And there's no way that they're going to hear it. There's no way they're going to believe it if they haven't at first heard it. Right? And hearing starts with those of us who know we need to be telling other people. Right? Also, right, Paul, in that passage, is saying that, you know, listen, this, this passage in Isaiah the how, how blessed are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Proclaiming to Zion, your God reigns. Paul quotes that, and guess what? That passage applies to you, right? God spoke through his prophet, Yeshiahu, Isaiah, about you, about me, about any one of us here, 
And he said those beautiful words about us, if we are the ones that are going and telling other people, if we are the ones defending the truth of the scriptures. Okay? So, right, I want to, so I want to encourage you in that. Fair enough? So I, I hope that these passages, and thank you to my readers, I appreciate it, I hope that these passages have laid enough of a foundation that everyone agrees that, yes, we need to be engaged in, we need to be ready, right? If, if someone comes up to you and says, you know, Charlie, why, uh, what, what's this, you, you, you believe in God, right? An answer should be forthcoming, right? A good answer, a, a, a winsome answer, an answer that is consistent in truth, right? Because we've been commanded to do it and we'll be blessed because of it. Fair enough? All right. I also, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pull rank a little bit. I don't do this a lot, right? I'm, I'm an elder here at this synagogue, so I do have some authority, right, in, um, in spiritual matters, Okay, now I'm a, right, it's, it's baseball season, right? I'm a Twins fan, and I'm a fan of anyone who's playing against the Yankees. And Jesus does hate the Yankees, by the way, all right? But my authority does not extend to making you wear red socks every time the Yankees are playing a game, all right? That's, that's not my level of authority. I do get to tell you, right, that... The people in this synagogue, the people who are to some degree under my spiritual care, will be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within them. Okay? We are not going to have, we are not going to be a synagogue. We are not going to be a mishpachah that says, you know, when someone says, well, why, why do you believe in, in God? That, well, it's just a matter of faith. You just have to believe. That's a terrible answer. And, and no one in this synagogue is going to give that answer. All right, we're going to be able to give a good answer. Fair enough? So, the, you know, again, I don't get to tell you to root against the Yankees, right? I do get to tell you that we're going to answer appropriately. Fair enough? How are we going to do this, right? A few notes. I want you to be careful, right? So, I'm going to need a reader. I want a reader from Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, Verses 16 through 22. Who's got that for me? Matthew chapter 10, okay. And I'm going to need a reader. Oh, this is one of my favorites. All right, I'm going to need a, a reader for Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Naomi, you got that one? Okay, and Naomi, if you want to do me a favor, you can actually go verses 3, 4, and 5. 26, 3, 4, and 5, because 3 is one of my favorites. Okay. Matthew 10, verses 16 through 22. Matthew 10, 16 through 22. As soon as you're mic'd up and ready, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Pay attention. <clears throat> I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, so be as prudent as snakes and as harmless as doves. Be on guard, for there will be, peop for there will be people who will hand you over to the local Sanderhines and flog you at their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as a testimony to them to the going, 
But when they bring you to trial, do not worry about what, what to say or how to say it. When the time comes, you will be given what to say. For it will not be just you speaking, but the Spirit of your Heavenly Father speaking through you. A brother will betray his brother to death, and a father his child. Children turn against their parents and will have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but whoever holds out till the end will be preserved from harm. Thank you, sir. All right. Be as wise as serpents. All right? As wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves, right? Don't be a jerk, right? And when I say that you can use the scriptures to be a jerk, I'm speaking from personal experience, all right? That's the gentle as doves part. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay, but you need to be as wise as serpents, right? You need to be smart. You need to be ready to give this answer, but also... You need to be open to the movement of the Spirit to help you give that answer. Right? Now, again, if anyone says, well, I just believe in God because there's really no evidence for God, but it's an act of faith, right? I promise you, you will get flogged in this synagogue for that nonsense. All right? But besides that, I don't think that flogging in the synagogue is uh, really a modern thing. Okay. Right? So, why is the serpent's? Right? We, need to be, we need to be ready, right? we need to start doing our thinking now, and then when the time comes, be open to the, the movement of the Spirit for apologetic reasons. Fair enough? Among other things. Uh, Naomi, are you ready to go? As soon as you're ready, do it. Mm-hmm. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, thank you. When you're, uh, there's a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. I don't know why, I just love that. Anyways, so what did, what did those two, it seems like we're getting contradictory information right? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes, right? Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or or you'll be like him. Do it or don't do it. What's going on here? All right. I think what's going on here is that a, a number of things, right? First of all, people have questions, right? We see you know, there, there are various questions that people have, right? What happens to me after I die, right? Why, why do bad things happen to good people, right? What, uh, if, if I believe that, that I have a soul that will continue after, after my body dies, what happens to that soul, right? Can I, you know, if, if there is a God who exists, and he has an objective moral standard, and I've failed to meet that moral standard, is there anything I can do to get right with him? These are really important questions, right? And these are questions, these, these can't really be answered by, for example, a scientist. You know, again, Richard Dawkins would say that none of these questions, that, that these questions are irrelevant, that they don't actually matter, right? So, 
if we think that these questions are important and if we think we have answers, there are people who are honestly seeking and who need answers. And they need good answers. They need the right answers. There are all sorts of wrong answers to be had. They need the right ones. And they're not going to get the right ones unless you, and, and you, right? My fingers should point back at myself as well unless we are prepared to give them the answers, right? Some people are seeking answers, they need answers. Some people are not seeking answers, right? They're just raising themselves against the knowledge of the living God, like Paul talked about, okay? Those people who are not seeking answers, who are not seeking truth, they need to be answered, Right? They need to be shown publicly to be wrong, all right? lest, they're, lest they be wise in their own eyes. All right? if, I mean, if you've got the, the Ricky Gervases of the world claiming that God can't exist because I can't find a 30-milliliter bottle of God particles, right? I mean, there are people that will hear that and say, well, yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. Those people need to be answered, and they need to be answered publicly. Right? Someone needs to take a stand for Adonai, for his Torah, and for truth, and that person is probably going to have to be you at some point in time or another. Right? So be ready for it. Okay? Right? That's why we have, you know, don't answer a fool or you'll be like him, and then, oh yeah, answer a fool, lest he be wise in his own eyes. All right? That's what's going on here. Now, technique that I think is a good one and I want to put in your brain. You don't have to use it, right? Your choices are your own. But this is a technique I think is a good one. If you're uh, familiar with um, uh, Dr. Frank Turek, he asks this question a lot. I think it's a good one to weed out whether or not you're talking to someone who needs answers or who needs to be answered. Right, just ask that person, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Okay, I understand we're in a messianic synagogue. All right, I got it. If, if someone asks me what religion I am, I say, yeah, I'm a Jew. Right, because to the vast majority of people, that communicates, okay, strange holidays, no pork or shellfish, and probably votes a Democrat all the time, Right. Two out of three ain't bad. So, however, the vast majority of people are not going to understand the distinctions between someone who practices Messianic Judaism and someone who practices the, the Christianity of the E-free church down the street. Okay, So, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If that person says yes, chances are that person is seeking answers. That person's on a truth quest. If that person says no, then that person most likely needs to be answered, right? He's not on a truth quest. He's on a happiness quest or a quest to rule his own life to the exclusion of the king of kings to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, right? But he still needs to be answered, okay? All right, with that being said, are there any questions on why apologetics is important? And when I say, are there any questions, I'm on a truth quest. I want to know if there's any questions. If you have one, please feel free to ask. Otherwise, we're moving on.
And if no one asks a question, that means everyone in here agrees, yeah, apologetics is important. I should be able to do it, at least at a basic level. Right? Okay, so for everyone who's paying attention, I want you to say the words, yes, apologetics is important. Excellent, thank you. For everyone who's paying attention and is conscious, that's great. Please say the words, I should be able to be at least an amateur apologist. Okay, thank you. Right, you're all witnesses, the words came out of your own mouths. All right, I wanna talk briefly and I want to practice with you, I want you to engage on some tactics to be in a conversation, all right? Now, sometimes when, when we're in a conversation, we might hear something that's, you know, we, we hear it and, nah, I, man, I really need to stand up for Adonai and his Torah right now, but I'm not sure how I want to enter the conversation, all right? Let me, this is based on the work of um, uh, Greg Kokel in his book, appropriately, entitled Tactics. I think it's a great book, right? Uh, Greg Kokel is, uh, uh, has uh, reformed theology, so I love to make fun of Calvinists, but when I'm not making fun of them, I'm quoting them, right? Because I have to admit that they're right some of the time, except in their Calvinism. Now, I think it's a great book. You should get the book. Here's the basics of the book. Right, the basics of the book is what's called the Columbo technique. Right? Now, when I say Columbo, I'm probably communicating with people of a certain age. Right? Some of us remember, right? and I remember because my dad watched Columbo with me. Right? I'm, I'm not quite of that certain age. Right? But some of us remember Lieutenant Columbo, right? played by uh, Peter Falk. You know, and Lieutenant Columbo would show up at the crime scene and and he's never got a pencil, right? He's got this rumpled overcoat. He looks like a fool, but he's, he's crazy like a fox, right? And he's walking around. You know, you know, there's something about this that bothers me, right? That's a pretty good Columbo, right? If you're of a certain age, something about this that bothers me. Hey, I, you mind if I ask you a question? Right? He's always doing that, right? All right, so questions are a good way to enter a conversation, right? If someone says, you know, we really shouldn't be keeping Shabbat, right? Sometime ask me about an experience that I had with Christians saying that. Ask my wife. It's a really funny story. Anyways, it's a, a story that also talks about marital harmony, too, so uh, you'll enjoy the story, right? But you, you hear that and I'd like to enter the conversation, but I'm not sure how to do that, right? A, a safe, socially acceptable way is to ask a question. All right, so are you ready? This is Columbo 1. Columbo 1, right? In the same way that the first thing a boxer learns is how to cover, and the first punch he learns is a jab, right? This is what you should know how to do. Yeah, oh, you know, there's something about this that bothers me. Right, ask this question, what do you mean by that? Okay, now say it with me. What do you mean by that? All right, you're gonna have people that'll say any sort of weird thing, 
right? You'll, you'll hear it and it hmm, doesn't sound right. So just ask, what do you mean by that? You know, oh, the, the law has been done away with. That, that's an interesting thing to say. What do you mean by that? Right? Because usually this person is making an assertion. Right? Odds are, right, especially in our, in our modern society, right? Have you noticed that, right, what, what do we teach in schools? Just your, your average public school to, in, that most people endured, right? What do we teach? Help me out. Okay. We teach math, science, language. All right, fair. What else? Arts. How about logic? Do we teach logic in schools? No. Yeah. If you want, if you want to see a logic class, you need to go to a Christian school or a classical school. Right? You will not see a logic class in a public school. I promise you. Or, or it's, it's incredibly rare. It's vanishingly rare. Okay? So... And that's been true for generations, right? I went to public schools, right? I never had a logic class. I didn't know you even studied logic until I learned about it from, appropriately enough, the church. Okay? So, logic is not the strong suit of the American people nowadays. Let's put it that way, right? So you shouldn't be surprised to hear someone assert something and have no ability to back it up. Right, so when you say the words, what do you mean by that? Make that person keep talking. Right? The ball's in his court. You're perfectly safe. Right? Socially, the question, what do you mean by that, that's, that's, just, a, you know, that's just a great question in general. You know, Modesto says, you know, I, I don't think that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Oh, well, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Right? I mean, we're just having a polite conversation, right? There's no argument, there's no fighting, just a polite conversation. Okay? Second question, Columbo 2. How did you come to that conclusion? Right? Again, Columbo 2, say it with me. How did you come to that conclusion? Right? Make that person explain what he's thinking. And again, he might not be thinking anything, right? He might have heard that dozens of times, and, you know, he's, he's just saying the same thing that he's heard over and over again, all right? Don't be surprised if you ask these two Columbo questions. If you say, what do you mean by that? Or if you say, how did you come to that conclusion? Right? Don't be surprised if someone just says the exact same thing again. Right? Maybe louder and slower. Right? Don't be surprised at it. Again, because discourse is such that some of the things that these people are saying, they might have never had any pushback and they might have never thought about it in their lives. And I don't say this to be offensive. I say it because it's true. Okay? You, you'll hear, oh, well, wow, you're being really judgmental. Okay, that's new speak for I don't like what you're saying and you're a bad person, so stop saying it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's, you know, if, if, I'm, if, if you're in a discussion with someone and that, and that person, you're being really judgmental. 
All right, if you say, oh, that's, that's an interesting thing to say. What do you mean by that? That person might have never thought about what the term judgmental actually means. Okay? So be patient, right? And if, and if the person just says, well, I, you're being really judgmental, right? <laughs> it's not because that person's trying to treat you like an idiot. It's because that person's never thought beyond that. That, that attack phrase has always worked in the past. Now it's not working. Let's just kind of reboot and try it again, okay? Fair enough? You, you will run into an assertion that has just always been made. You know, well, I mean, there's so many translations of the Bible. Who really knows what it means? Right? Oh, well, well that's interesting. Let's talk about that. You know, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? And, I mean, because the, uh, the idea that uh, the Bible being translated dilutes the message, right? We, we need to study that, right? I mean, the Bible being translated does not dilute the message, right? That's, you know, unless the translation's bad. So, easy ways to enter a conversation, right? And these are in order, right? You should, if, if someone's talking, someone's saying something weird, what do you mean by that, right? Let that person talk. Make sure you understand that person's point of view before diving into, you know, diving into a defense of, you know, well, you know, I'd, I don't think Jesus is the son of God, right? Find out what that person means, you know, oh, what, what do you mean by that? That person could be saying, right, I think the Mormons are wrong when they say that Elohim, who has a physical body, came to earth, had sex with the Virgin Mary to conceive Jesus in the exact same way that Zeus conceived Hercules. All right, and that person would be right. So we don't want to jump into a, a defense of the incarnation before we understand that person's point of view. Okay, does that make sense? And yes, right, I... I remember years ago, a good Mormon friend of mine saying, I think of Jesus a lot like I think of Hercules. I thought, wow, that's weird. And then when I understood the doctrine of that strange, twisted cult, I said, no, he thinks of Jesus exactly like he thinks of Hercules. Anyways, I digress. Okay, Columba 1. What is it? What's Columba 1? What do you mean by that? Thank you, Gigi. Columbo 2. What's Columbo 2? How did you come to that conclusion? Right. Show me the inner workings of that twisted brain of yours. How did you come to that conclusion? All right. Columbo 3 is a little bit harder. Okay. Columbo 1 and Columbo 2 are very basic. Right. You don't need to know anything. Right. You, Columbo 1, oh, what do you mean by that? Right. If you're in a conversation, you can use Columbo 1 anytime. You don't need to know anything about the topic you're talking about. This other person can just expound to his heart's content, not expand, expound. Right? I expand when I eat too much. <laughs> I expound when I talk more and more about a topic. Right? This other person can expound to his heart's content. He can talk and talk and talk. And at the end of that conversation, if you don't feel comfortable actually talking about it, hey, 
thanks for telling me about that. And you can exit the conversation, and everyone had a nice time. Right? The same is true with Columbo 2. Columbo 2, how do you come to that conclusion? Maybe this person has good reasons for the conclusion. Right? Let's find out what they are. And again, if you don't know anything about this, if you're totally unable to, to debate, to answer, to try to change this person's mind, that's fine. At the end of Columbo 2, just, well, hey, thanks for talking with me. That was really interesting. Okay? Columbo 3 is going to require a little bit more. Right? Columbo 3 is going to require a, um, uh, a knowledge of the, the information you're talking about. Right? Columbo 3 is going to be something of a leading question. Right? Columbo, an example would be, you know, Jesus said not to judge. Oh, well, Columbo 3 is where you say, oh, so, so it was Jesus' judgment that, that we shouldn't judge? Does that make sense? Something like that, right? So you need to understand the logic of the argument or you need to understand the, uh, the, the factual issues of the thing you're actually discussing in order for Columbo 3 to work for you, okay? But Columbo 1, Columbo 2, super easy. It's verbal Aikido, right? And at the end of it, if you don't, if you don't like the way the conversation's going, if you're not comfortable, whoosh, just pop on out. Thanks for talking with me. That was fun. I enjoyed chatting with you, right? Polite, enjoyable, and this person won't be defensive against you the next time you want to talk with that person. Good? Any questions? Right? I'd encourage you to get the book, Tactics, if you want. Question, yes, ma'am. Is Columbo 3 where you would, someone would say, um, there's no such thing as absolute truth, and you would say, is that absolutely true? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, so, so uh, let me, let me re- <laughs> It's perfect, right? And, and people will say these things, right? You know, um, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, right? Mr. God is dead because we killed him, right? So first of all, if you ever see a picture of Frederick Nietzsche, the man has a mustache to set the world on fire, right? Um, but he was only good at growing mustaches, right? Because he, he was big into this, there, there is no truth, right? Well, it's a Columbo 3 question to say, well, aren't you proclaiming a truth that there is no truth, right? That's illogical, right? But you need to understand the logic of the matter in order to ask the question. So yes, that becomes a Columbo 3 truth, a Columbo 3 question, right? You know, there are no absolutes, right? Are you absolutely sure? Right? And, and we can see, just with very simple logic, that this statement, either it's wrong, so we don't care about it, or it carries with it its own contradiction. Right? But yes, we do need to, uh, we need to understand that much about logic, which isn't very much. Right? I think everyone in this room understands the contradiction. When I stand up here and bang my fist and say, there are no absolute truths, Right? Stop laughing at me, Gigi. <laughs> I am absolutely certain that there are no absolute truths. Right? 
you'll find PhDs trying to argue that point, right? Which is only to show that the PH stands for philosophy and our education system has sunk below what it should be. Anyways, all right, so a little bit of verbal Aikido, right? Tactics to safely enter a conversation. All right, now I want to talk briefly. I want to just, I want to practice it a little bit, right? So again, Aline is ready with her microphone, right? And I want to hear from you because it's probably happened. There are probably people in this synagogue right now who have had people ask them questions, questions that need a good answer. And either you were ready for it or you weren't, right? But I want to hear those questions. If you don't have them, I've prepared a few questions, and I want to see how you would answer some of these questions. Okay, so this is your time. Let's talk about it, you know. You choose it, we schmooze it. So, Mrs. Castellano, go ahead. Mom, what do I tell somebody when they ask me what we believe in and why we believe it? That's a question that I got from, that's a question I got from. From someone Sophia. who calls you mom? Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough, from my bonus child. <laughs> Your bonus child. Uh-huh. Okay, that's, that's a good one. When, and let me, let me see if I get it right. Basically, someone's asked, what do you believe and why do you believe it? Yeah. Right? Okay. All right. That's a good one, right? Notice that that one... Right? That's, that's not starting with an assertion. That's asking us, you know, put on the table, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Right? It's a, you know, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very basic question, but it is an important question. So, how do we want to answer that? Right? Okay. Um, my question was, do you know why they asked you that? Do I? Okay, I, so... I, I asked Sophia, I said, do you know why they asked you that? And she said no. But okay. it was disappointing because she couldn't tell them. So that was kind of a... That was an yeah. awakening moment for me as a parent. Sure, sure, of course it was. And that... Right. So, so let's, let's be prepared now, right? So that the next time that, you know, if, if someone asks you, you know... All right, sir, my name's Joe. What's your name? Steve. Steve, it's nice to meet you, Steve. Steve, what do you believe, and why do you believe it? Can we get the mic? Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you believe, and why do you believe it? How would you answer? And if, you know, let's, let's just talk through it. Everyone here loves you, Steve. Everyone here loves Jesus, so... Help, how would you answer? I believe in the, the total sovereignty of God the Father and Yeshua as his son that came to earth and died for our sins. And he's trying to lead us to 
salvation all mankind, but we are rebellious against it. So that's why he gave us the word of God to learn and to grow in our personal development. But he alone can call us to believe without his calling we do not uh, mankind cannot accept God so there I believe there are some people who never will believe and cannot believe because they have never been called for God's unknowable purposes or reasons okay all right and, and okay Someone else. I, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Right? So Steve just gave us a good, I, I think, a pretty good understanding of what, what he believes. Right? How would you answer the, this is why I believe that question? Right? Notice that that person has basically asked us Columbo 1 and Columbo 2. What do you believe? And why do you believe it? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Right? We're now having to answer, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it. Thank you, Steve, I appreciate it. Who wants to answer why I believe this? It's a little bit more difficult, kind of a daunting question. Mrs. Williams, if you please. I actually just answered this question today when I was talking to you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> If someone asked me that question, I would say that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the salvation for all mankind. And that um, the creator of the universe gave to us His Torah and that we should live in the way that Yeshua lived. And so I don't usually argue paganism or anything else in the holidays that I don't celebrate. I just rely on the fact that Jesus didn't celebrate Christmas, so I don't. And Jesus didn't celebrate Easter, so I don't. I celebrate the holidays that he celebrated. I live the way he lived by following Torah because he was Jewish. And he's my savior. Okay. So, again, I think you've answered what you believe. How did you come to that conclusion? Why, why, do, you think that, why do you think those things? It's a pretty broad question. How about, why do you think that God exists? I mean, I can't see God. Is God here? Can you point to him? I believe God exists because I've seen the evidence of it in my own personal life and I have felt his relationship with me guiding me through hard times and good times as well. Okay. All right. That's not a bad answer. All right. Some, some people would say that some people would say that um, that, that is some, something of a subjective answer. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. It is somewhat subjective, right? The subject, I feel something, right? Now, notice that I can make, it's perfectly reasonable for me to make a decision based on what I know, right? Or based on what I feel, right? Just my introspection. That's okay, right? Given that I cannot share that that, um, that feeling. I, I can't share, you know, you, based on your personal life, right? That, that's something that I can't share. 
right? I think that we should be also be ready to explain why I think there is a God that, you know, that uh, give objective reasons, right? But this in and of itself is not, is not a bad answer. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I would probably answer it with another question that, um, like, how did I come to the conclusion that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Savior, the, the sacrifice? Because when the rock was rolled away and they came into the tomb and Mary, they see, the girls had seen that his body was no longer there, they instantaneously believed that he was resurrected. Now that would mean that the Romans would have had to have come in and taken his body. If this was not true, what would the Romans have gained? Because they, didn't, they were on the side of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not wanting this man to be a leader, to be out there preaching this word. So by the Romans going in, if, Yeshua had really never been resurrected. That means that the Romans would have had to go in and take his body. What gain would that have given the Romans that would have just solidified the believers' intuition? That um, would have solidified their beliefs even more. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, so... Um, I'm sorry, remind me of your name. Rachel. Rachel, Rachel thank you. Uh, so what Rachel is talking about is the historic evidence of the resurrection. Okay? Brothers and sisters, the resurrection is not a fairy tale. The resurrection is a legitimate historical conclusion, and it makes the most sense. Right? If, if you are to just... If, if you're an alien from outer space and you have... No preconceived notions, except the preconceived notion that dead men don't rise on their own, which is scientific fact. Okay, You open the, these historical documents that we call the Gospels, and you reasonably conclude that this man rose from the dead. Okay, This is not a fairy tale. This is not something we should be afraid of. We should be boldly proclaiming the resurrection as historical truth. All right, thank you, ma'am. Right, and yes, that is a that is a key point of apologetics. Right, if if we're not if we're not ready to talk about the resurrection, do a little study. All right, because again, we have an embarrassment of riches of historical evidence that yes, that man got up and walked out of that tomb. Right, and he didn't get up and walk out of that tomb because he fainted or passed out on the cross, right? Romans knew how to kill people, thank you. All right, there, yes, there, there is absolutely good historical evidence that our master did indeed rise. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, good, those are, those are good answers, right? My belief, you know, my belief is based on, on something personal, right, and that's fine, you know, your personal thing might not convince me, right? My belief is based on the historical evidence of the resurrection of, of Jesus of Nazareth. 
that's probably the strongest answer we can give, and that is the strongest answer that anyone could expect, right? That's, that's a good answer that should convince other people, right? Anyone have an... Okay, so Naomi, do you have another question? Okay, let's hear it. A question that we would want to be able to answer. Go ahead. Why did you start believing? Everybody okay. has a reason why they believe, but there had to be a reason why they started believing. Okay, fair enough. That's similar to these other questions, right? What caused you to... And we need to, we need to recognize that a lot of people are going to choose what they want to believe and then go find evidence for it, right? We'd like to think that we look at evidence and then that informs all of our beliefs. That, that may or not may not be true, right? But I think it's, you know, it, it, some people are going to believe what they want to believe despite the evidence. And again, I think that, I think that a belief in God, believe in the existence of God, belief that Jesus of Nazareth got up and walked out of that tomb is supported strongly by the evidence, right? I expect others to be able to come to a conclusion when I show them that evidence. Good. What else? Another question. If not, I've got one for you. What? Um, the homeschooling moms here would kind of, they might understand this one a little bit too. Hold that mic right up to your face. Um, being a homeschool mom in a synagogue, we have a tendency to teach, cre we teach creation. Um, a, a question that I had before was, well, yeah, the historical evidence, sure, but what about today? How can you believe in a world today? What evidence is there today about God's sovereignty, about his existence, about the way, like, be, living in the world today, how can you believe in a creator with all the chaos that there is? Because that's oh. our, our biggest creation is okay. it's what we teach. All right, so let me see if I understand the question. How can, how can you believe in a creator? Basically, that, that boils down the question, right? How do you believe in a creator? Okay. All right, so if there is no God who created us, then our whole lifestyle, our whole worldview is wrong. Agreed? So this is an important question. Rachel, do you want to answer the question? Okay, Rachel's chomping at the bit. Where's my... Aileen, Aileen, you're falling down, <laughs> sleeping on the job. Okay, so, right, so argument, I would take this in the arguments for the existence of God direction, right? Our bar and bat mitzvah students know these. I think they are simple enough that anyone can, any one of these you should be able to state your case in about 90 seconds to explain at least the, what we call the big three in the bar, bar and bat mitzvah class, we call it the big three, arguments for the existence of God. But Rachel, go ahead. How would, you, how would you answer this question? I would answer it as... Please hold it right up to your face. I can hardly my hear My apologies. You. I would answer it to the fact that iPhones have a creator, computers have a creator, 
even a tree, you have to plant it and water it and tend it for it to grow, for it to develop. So therefore, you play a part in at least a part in that creation of that plant or that electronic, that mechanic, even engineers designing blueprints. Everything has a creator. So why would we not? Okay. We are complex machines. We are complex beings with a very complex design. There has to be a creator for that. Okay, be careful. Rachel, you've done well. Let me, we're good with, with one caveat that, that we need to be, of which we need to be aware. Um, basically, you've stated two of the big three arguments, right? I want us to be very careful because your, your statement, everything has a creator, is not quite correct because God doesn't have a creator, right? So let's refine that, okay? You did very well. My We're going to refine. I got a little excited on that one, so. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's good to be excited, right? Because Rachel just passed one of our bar mitzvah classes, right? Good job. <laughs> All right. Be careful, right? Say it with me. Well, listen and say it after me. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Okay? Yeah. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. iPhones. My iPhone began to exist at some point in time. It has a cause. Right? My body began to exist at some point in time. It has a cause. The universe began to exist at some point in time. It has a cause. Did God ever begin to exist? No. God never began to exist. Therefore, we don't need to ask, well, who created God? If we say everything has a cause, or excuse me, everything began to, everything has a creator, right? Well, who created God, Rachel? Come on, smart guy. Well, thank you for editing that, because that's essentially what I meant, so. Right, right. Just, you've done very well, right? Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore, the universe has a cause, right? Things don't cause themselves. That's illogical, right? So what caused the universe? Whatever caused the universe must be outside of the universe, must be very powerful, must be personal in order to make a choice to cause something, right? Must be incredibly intelligent in order to design all the laws that make the universe work. Does that sound like someone I know? Okay, right? That's what's called the cosmological argument for the existence of God, right? Rachel also mentioned that there's apparent design. Everything that's been designed has a designer. That's what's called the teleological argument. Things seem to work, right? We live, we live on a planet that just happens to have the right amount of oxygen, nitrogen, and all the other stuff in the air for our existence, right? More oxygen, we'd have too many fires. Less oxygen, we'd all suffocate. Who made, who made it that way? Right, and on and on and on. Right? Who put the planet Jupiter exactly where it needs to be to suck all the asteroids that would smash into this planet? Right? Just oh, it just worked out that way. Okay, wow, you've got a lot of faith, buddy. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Rachel. Right. When when someone asks, why do you think there's a God? 
That's an answer you should be able to give. Well done. Thank you, sister. Appreciate it. Anything else? Any other questions? We're almost done. Are you guys enjoying this? Is this worth your time? Someone said no, and, and that's fine. Okay, we're going to go Charlie, then we're going to go over here. All right, we've got, we've got adequate time, so uh, let's enjoy ourselves a little bit more. Go ahead. Is that hot? Yeah, tap, tap that top button. It'll turn green. Oh, okay. There you go. All right, so uh, one question that I have been asked a lot um, in the time that I've been a believer this way um, has, and I wouldn't say a lot, but often is, uh, you know, how do I know that which religion is the right religion or which path is the correct path? Because there's religions that are older than, allegedly than this, um, that existed before our religion came into existence. Um, but I get asked that quite a bit. So, you want an answer? What I say? I mean, is that just... Well, okay, I do, but not right now. Okay. Let's do this. So, let's have someone else. I want someone ready to answer this question, right? I'm, so, I'm going to state back the question to you as I understand it. Okay. And then we're going to hand off the mic to... Who's the next victim? I mean, volunteer. Okay, we're going to hand off the mic to a young man, okay. right? And he's going to uh, hold it just a little bit more, and we'll see if, uh, if I get this right. Okay. Hey, Charlie, how do you know your religion's right? I mean, uh, as far as we know, Hinduism has existed a lot longer than the, the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? Uh, but your religion makes a claim to be the only right one. How do you know that? Because, again, there, there are religions that are older than that. Yes. Okay? How do we answer that question? That's, that's a good question, right? Okay. How are we going to answer it? Well, if you have a religion that you're worshiping an idol, how is your idol going to create a universe? It's completely still. Was it alive before it got to where it is? And if we're, if we're building an idol... If it's a god, why are we not afraid to touch it? Why are we not afraid to put a candle in front of it and accidentally burn it? Okay, how does, how does that answer? So the, the question was, how do you know that your religion's right? Okay, as I understand your answer, you're saying, okay, we've got, we've got idolatry. I, I question this, this statue representing God. Right or or actually being God. I'm I'm not sure. Do me a favor, think about it, and we'll come back to you. Okay, let me. Anyone else want to take a stab at this one? We'll we'll come back to that. Fair enough. Anyone else want to take a stab at? How do you know your religion's right? How do we know our religion's right? Let me ask another question. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, Naomi. Go ahead. In Bat Mitzvah class, um, once we talked about how we believe, well, we know that it's true because, like, we know that the Bible's true because we know all these things like how long it took to make it and that there's a bunch of different books in there and more than 40 people wrote them. 
and it was in many different um, with the utensils and in like, th at least three languages. And it all followed the same story. Like one after another. Like Genesis goes into Exodus, but it's the same story. And the Bible is connected to our, uh, our religion. So if we know the Bible's true, then our religion must be right. Okay. Others, so other religions are, from what I know, they're often based on lies. So if we don't know that, it's that their thing is true, if there's no evidence, then how do we know their religion is? Okay, so. fair enough. So the, the Bible certainly seems to be consistent, right? It seems to be one consistent story from beginning to end, right? Does that, does that, I don't think that quite answers the question, how do I know that, how do we know that this religion is true, right? I've got a side question for you. Here's a question. It seems, the way this question is phrased to Charlie is causing me a little heartburn, right? How do you know your religion's true? Because there are religions that are older than yours. How are those two things related? Annette, you want to take a shot at this? Aline, no tip for you. You were paying attention? Why am I the one doing all the walking then? All right, Annette, what's, I've got a problem with the way this question is phrased. How do you know your religion's true? Because there are older religions. Religions, all of the leaders of the older religions um, died, and Yeshua rose from the dead. Okay, good. All right, thank you, Aline. Get a, get a chance, right? We believe in redemption. Aline gets a chance to redeem herself. Good. All right, so, right, so Annette is going to take the same tack as Rachel takes when we're, we're just going to go back to the argument for the resurrection of Christ, Right? If Jesus rose from the dead, what, he, he gets to say what's true, right? I mean, this, if, that, if someone rises from the dead, I just believe everything he says, right? Okay, I think that's legitimate, right? Um, here's my problem. Older is not necessarily better, right? I mean, it, it's, it's far older to say that the earth is the center of the universe, and there's these big ethereal spheres that rotate around it, and that's why we see the stars moving, right? That's a very old idea. That's called the Ptolemaic concept of the universe. Ptolemaic with a T. With a P, right? Yes, there you go. Gigi's paying attention, right? The heliocentric model that says the earth revolves around the sun, right? That's newer, does, does the truth of the heliocentric model, is, is that in any way related to the oldness of the idea? I, I don't necessarily think that it is, right? And therefore, I think that we should question, you know, when, when this question comes out, first we need to attack the, the assertion, there's, there's an implicit assertion, right? This religion is older, therefore it must be better. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. Give me that. 
old time religion. I, I love the song, but it doesn't necessarily imply truth. Okay, I want to, Charlie, I want to hear how you answer this question. Aline, mic him up, please. What's, oh, okay, all right. Give me an answer. The, the question is, how do you know your religion is true? I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. Okay. But how do you know that you're building your relationship on truth? Because I've been there twice and came back. Been where? To heaven. You've, you've, you've had an out-of-body experience? Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, fair enough. Right? And I, I consider that... Now, notice, right, again, this is, this is one person's experience. Realize that a lot of people have had experiences like this, and I want to hear your testimony later. A lot of people have had experiences like this. If God doesn't exist, then every one of those experiences must be false, right? So the experiences that people have had and that they have shared do seem to militate towards the existence of the divine. Okay? Thank you. Charlie, how would you answer the question? Um, so the times that I have been asked that, uh, I kind of tell them, you know, that number one, uh, you know, coming into where I'm at now, I'm never going to turn my back. And it states throughout the scripture multiple times that you're planted like a tree and you won't be moved. And, you know, I'm going to believe this way until I die. Uh, and there's nothing that anybody can say or do to take that away from me. And also, you kind of know you're on the right path. Because, I mean, if you put all the, you know, Yeshua is the most known figure throughout the entire world. Except with the exception of maybe a couple of, you know, tribal people that are, you know, third world country that don't have access to stuff like we do in the modern world technology and things of that nature. And even they may get exposed. And I mean, because there's all kinds of other people in different countries that believe in Yeshua. But he's the most known figure throughout the entire world. He's still talked about today. Um, and you know you're on the right path when everything that you're saying and believing is and people look at you funny like Catholicism Christianity and us we all believe in Jesus but for some reason they took out the Jewish part of them and so they cut off those roots so they're kind of in my opinion they're lost but we help we hold on to the Jewish roots and Yeshua was born a Jewish man he was died a Jewish man he was ascended into heaven a Jewish man he's going to come back a Jewish man He's not going to come back as a white guy or whatever else all these other people, you know, are, gonna, are saying. But, again, you know, if you if go and say that to people, they'll get upset. Well, that's what happens. When you're on the right path, people look at you funny. And they want to call you out for all this stuff. But all the call-outs and all the hatred and all that just means that you're, to me, means that you're on the correct path. And I won't be moved from this. So I hold, you know, myself to that. And I hope anybody else who believes this way does as well. Okay. So, but that's how you, like, I feel that you know that you are on the right path. Like, all those other religions, they don't say that, you know, you can, 
They don't have an all-loving God. They don't have a God that wants to be with them. They don't have a, I mean, they do at some point after they die or something, and they go into their heaven, but we have a God that's going to, you know, he wants to have a relationship with us, like a father and son. And I don't think any of those other gods are really like that. And it also says, states in the Ten Commandments, that there's no other gods except me. So there are other gods that do exist. They're false, but there's only one true God. And it's because of that Ten Commandments, that first commandment in the Ten Commandments states that. Okay. Um, I think, you know, your, your answer is very personally moving. I'm not certain that it answers, how do you know that your religion is right? John wants a shot at this. Uh, Aileen, will you mic John up, please? Back, back. Warmer, warmer, warmer. All right. One word, confirmation. Confirmation of the accuracy of scriptures that we can see, that we can witness, that we can see through, through archaeology, we can see through uh, true followers. We can see the accuracy, the confirmation of the, uh, the lives of the people involved in Scripture. We can see confirmation of the prophecies that have been fulfilled through Scripture. We can see confirmation of the resurrection of Christ through Scripture and through the witness accounts. We can see confirmation through our, our own lives when we call out to the Lord, when we ask him for confirmation. He answers us. We can see confirmation through, through looking at the logic of the, of the universe. We can see confirmation that nothing else makes sense. You can see people who've studied DNA. They've gone down and they, they've really dug into this, and they can't find evidence for things like evolution. They can't. All they see is DNA degrades over time. It gets worse and worse and worse over time. It started out perfect. They can see that. They can see evidence in that for creation. You, you, you have astrophysicists who are looking for evidence of something other than creation, but they can't find it. It's confirmation. Everywhere you look, it's confirmation. That's the answer. That's how I know that my beliefs are correct is the confirmation that I receive through that. That's the truth of our religion, of our beliefs, of what we know to be true, because it's been confirmed through the Spirit, through the Word, through the things that we have seen throughout time. Your answer in one word. Confirmation. <laughs> that was well done, thank you. Um, I, I think that that is a, uh, that's a, that's a stronger answer, right? Because we're, we're comparing, we're, we're talking about objective reality, right? You know, the, the appeal there is to objective fact. And what we're saying is that the objective facts are consistent with this worldview. This worldview is consistent with the objective facts, right? Therefore, it must be true. Truth is that which is consistent with reality, right? So that's a very strong answer. Uh, Gigi, did you want in on this one? Yeah. Okay. Can we get the mic over here, please? I'm, I'm going to give, Kristen's going to introduce a new question. Gigi wants in on this question. 
And then, Gigi, you're going to have the last word on this one, and then we're going to go over to Kristen. Fair enough? Kristen's topic is going to be the last one because we're, we're not really running out of time. We could spend more time, but we'll make it work. All right, Gigi, go ahead. Gigi, how do you know that your, your religion is the true one? Respectfully speaking, I'm allergic to the word religion. Okay, Gigi, how do you know that your worldview is true compared to the worldview of others? Your worldview and the practice based on your worldview. Good term. I like worldview much better. I may reverse microscope, and I'm perpetual motion because I see the creator God and everything I believe in the Creator God. I believe not only historically, but spiritually, that he sent his son to this earth in the form of a man for our salvation. And we would have to have a much longer conversation about this. This is not a one-sentence answer. We would have to agree to... uh, communicate for a period of time in order to talk through all of this so that you could really understand what I'm saying and where I come from and the background for it. But let me just finish by saying that because I understand that God sent his son for our salvation, and I can talk through this with you and and give you my reasons for understanding that, if you give me some time. Because of that, there is a book that has been written about the experiences of his son and God, the creator. And this book is reliable. And if you give me time, I can also indicate that it is reliable and I can tell you why. Because of all of that, I believe what God's son, who is also God in every way, told us And he told us that we should follow him, do all that he taught us and all that he did, and teach others to follow and do the same. And that is who and what I follow and what I believe. Okay. Thank you. Well spoken. Thank you. Kristen? Another, another question, a question that we've heard, and how would, we, how would we answer this question? You go ahead and give us the question. We're going to let other people talk through an answer, and then we'll come back to you. Fair enough? Um, how do you justify the two different ways God's described? In the Old Testament, he's vengeful. In the New Testament, he's loving. So how do you justify that it's the same God? Ooh, okay. Ah, we should have put Kristen up front. That's a good one. I like that. Okay. There's, all right, let, let me see if I can paraphrase it. There's, either your God is psychotic, he's got two totally different personalities, or we're talking about two different gods, right? Because this Old Testament God is a, a vengeful God of justice and smite and blah. And then this New Testament God is very loving and kind, and doesn't want to smite. Those are contradictory. What it, 
right? What, what's going on? Fair? Okay. How do we, uh, how are we going to answer that? that? That seems, right, it seems like there's an assertion at the bottom of that that either we're, we're not talking about the same God, right? So we have some sort of contradictory worldview, right? Or that this God is, you know, that, that we worship is just made up and there's different people making up different things at different times, right? So this, this is an interesting question. How are we going to answer it? Go. Once you're mic'd up, go. Well, it says in the Old Testament that he is loving, and it also says in the New Testament that he is, that he is, a, ven- that he is a vengeful God. Vengeance is his. So if it says that it is both him, it also says that the name is the exact same. It says that he does the exact same things. I don't think there's two gods that have the same personality. Okay. What, what do we think about that answer? I think, I think that answer is well-spoken, right? I mean, the, the assertion of the question, the, the, excuse me, the premise of the question is just false, right? I mean, God is... God is both portrayed as a loving God, which he is, and he is a just God. And his justice at some point in time demands that sin be punished, right? Our, our practice is to punish wrongdoing, right? We expect wrongdoing to be punished. And it seems as if God would be unjust if he doesn't punish wrongdoing, right? So he is both loving and he is just across the scriptures, well said. Thank you. A young man being raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord by the grace of God. MashaAllah. Gigi, you want in on this? Yes, I would say first of all, because I've been well trained by an elder in our community here, that's an interesting question and why would you say that? Nice, nice. Gigi, Gigi says, oh, you know what, there's something about this that bothers me. Why do you say that? Right. And then, exactly, make this person back up that assertion, right? Because the, the premise of the question is false, right? We can jump in and say the premise of the question is false. Or we can make the other person do the work for us and say, well, wait a second. I mean, doesn't, doesn't the, the Old Testament talks about God loving us? What, what, what do you mean? You know? Yeah, sure. And, and we can make, you know, make the other person do the heavy lifting. Well done. Columbo won. I'm going to expand yeah. just a little bit go. on what Joseph already said because it does say, if you read through the scriptures in the Old Testament, he is very merciful. A lot of the, the commandments that have to deal with dealing with your neighbors are to make restitution and, and justice, but it's also merciful. But um, some of the finer details, like the Jews have boiled down the Old Testament to 613 commandments, but someone else, I don't remember who, um, boiled down the commands of do this, don't do that in the New Testament to about 1,060. So there's actually more <coughs> commands of what to do or not do in the New Testament. So where is the commands versus the mercy? Um, and there's something else I was going to say. Um, but... Um, there is multiple evidences, multiple instances of his mercy in the Old Testament. Oh, oh that's what it was. Uh, even Yeshua. In the Old Testament, it says, you know, do not commit adultery. 
but Yeshua actually made it stricter by saying even a man who looks lustfully at, his, at another woman is committing adultery with her in his heart. So where is the vengeful and the um, do this, don't do this, um, commanding God versus the merciful God? Because Yeshua, in some ways, made it stricter rather than more broad, more merciful in the New Testament. So okay. um, it's the same God Yeshua came to explain um, what God meant by the actual commands. Um, also, I have a note from someone who is watching at home who um, wanted to know if you mentioned the burden of proof and that that's why the Colombo tactic works because it puts the burden of proof on them. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so first of all, to your answer, your answer just seems to be a, another method of attacking the premise of the question, right? Which is fine and, and I think correct, right? Because that question... Again, if, if that question comes from someone who needs an answer, you know, then, then sure, let's open up the scriptures and find that, you know, God's mercy is on every page of this book, right? And let's also open up the scriptures and find that God's judgment, right, is not only mentioned in the Old Testament, right? I hate that term, right? But it's mentioned throughout the scriptures, Right And yeah, so this, what, what that person has set up is a false dichotomy. If that person is one, of, one who needs an answer, then that's the answer. If that person is one who needs to be answered, then that's also the answer. Yeah, as far as the, um, yeah, Columbo, Columbo 1 and 2 are, you know, like, like Gigi's answer, right? What do, by the what way, do you she, mean the by person that? texted back and said, good job, Gigi, someone's learning. Right, yeah, so... <laughs> The, uh, that's, that's the beauty of, you know, that's, that's the beauty of Columbo. It, it makes, you know, what do you mean by that? Then that person, that person that made the assertion, right? Whatever the assertion is, right? Uh, the Bible talks about two different gods. Oh, wow. What do you mean by that? Explain that to me, right? Okay. Well, now I'm the guy that made the assertion. I have to explain it. The burden of proof is on me, right? Again, yes, right? Be lazy. Please be lazy. Let the other person bear the burden of proof. Let the other person do the heavy lifting, right? Oh, yeah, you know, Old, Old Testament law, that stuff's all been done away with, right? We in a messianic synagogue want to jump in and, rah, no, it hasn't. Just make that person explain what he's talking about. You know, and if he tells you to go read Galatians, say, sure, let's open the book of Galatians. I want you to show me what you're talking about, right? Let the other person bear the burden of proof. What do you mean by that, right? Understand it, and how did you come to that conclusion? Show me how exactly you're bearing the burden of proof, right? These questions are a way to make that person bear the burden of proof, and to do it in a in a, in a socially winsome manner, right? As opposed to, you know, if, I wanna, if I'm talking with Gigi and, and Gigi says, you need to explain that better, right? That's, that's kind of awkward, you know, but Gigi says, huh, what, what do you mean by that? It does the exact same thing, but it's in a nice, kind, gentle manner that makes me bear the burden of proof, 
right? Or as I like to call it, you know, not necessarily being intellectually lazy, but kind of being lazy. Rachel, do we have, where's our mic? Rachel has a question. So how, how are you going to get in on this, Rachel? You're not, turn it, turn it on. Yeah, just click that top button. There you go. I would liken it to an experience that I had as, as a child. I was sitting between my grandmother and my grandfather in the pickup as my grandfather was driving down the road. I kept taking my foot and pushing the gear shift stick back up into neutral. And he said, don't do that. He would put it back into gear. And once again, I would do this. Now this went on about five or six times. And finally, he swatted my foot and I started crying. And my grandmother looked, I said, I told my grandmother what had just happened. And she said, well, didn't he tell you not to do that? And I, uh, didn't he tell you once not to do that? And I said, no, he told me six times. <laughs> nice. So you could have the vengeful, the vengeful or righteous anger side. My grandfather is swatting my foot, telling me not to do that. But he's doing it for love as well because we are going to get in a car accident and it is going to kill us if I continue to do this. So you could kind of almost in a route, he is our father. He is trying to protect us. He doesn't put these things in place to keep us from having fun. You don't tell your child not to go stick your, don't go stick your finger in that light socket because you don't want them to have fun. You do it because you are protecting them. So then when you see them going for that light socket, you go ahead and you swat them and you reprimand them. Yes, it's that vengeance, it's that righteous anger that your child just disobeyed you after five or six times, don't touch the light socket. It's because you are trying to keep them from harm. And that's how I, that's how I would like look, look at it from that point of view. Okay. It seems like that answer, thank you by the way, it seems like that answer is slightly different, right? It doesn't necessarily attack the premise of the question, right? That Old Testament God is vengeful, New Testament God is merciful, right? It blends vengeance or judgment and mercy together mm-hmm. and shows that there's, there's not, you know, what, it's not what that you're... He is two, yeah. he, he's not two gods. Right. Just like he's not three because of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a father, you are a son, and you are a brother. You are three in one. You are a brain, you are a body, and you are a spirit. You can't have one without the other. So yes, they can blend together. Good. David, you want in on this? All right. Where's... Aline. Choke yourself. Go ahead. The question really is born in a concept of false understanding of love. The first question would be, as you've said, what do you mean by love? The second point to bring them to them is they look at the Old Testament as judgmental, the New Testament as love. But in the New Testament, God is still the same because he still brings judgment and discipline to his people as he did in the Old Testament. There are scriptures that says, and quotes that, that as his children, he will discipline us. 
and there are texts in Corinthians that because we've not considered the body of Christ correctly, there's a reason for sickness and death. So therefore, the God is the same because love is not based in the hippie love of the 60s. It's based in a love that is, carries the ideal of discipline. Okay, thank you. Yeah, again, I, I think, David, that your, your answer is, is similar to Rachel's answer in that it's, it's analyzing, you know, we, we, you know the, the premise of the question assigns these two different adjectives and says that they're different things, right? And you're saying, no, at the root, they're the same thing, right? Or at the root, they come from the same place. And so I think that's good as well. Kristen, do, would you like to answer this question, how, how you've answered it? Or are you I, happy with what you've heard? You're going to get the last word on the matter. I'd say it's the same God with um, Jesus bearing the burden of the punishment for us. Fair enough. I think that's a good answer. All right, well, uh, thanks everyone for your time. I, I hope this has been beneficial. My encouragement to you is that, you know, be, be, be thinking about these things, right? These are important questions, and important questions deserve answers. So please be ready to give these answers, again, both to the people who need answers and to the people who need to be answered. There are both of them out there. Uh, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your, uh, I appreciate your participation. Um, please join me in a word of prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll finish up. Yeah, yeah, quick. If you're going to discipline, you have to have love for a child, unless you're disciplining out of hate, which then wouldn't be disciplining, but beating and persecuting. Okay, good, Into love. right? You have and to that's discipline. consistent with our worldview, right, and with the, with the scriptures that says those he loves, he also disciplines, right? Well done. Okay, thank you. All right. I love you guys. Thanks for your time. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, King of the universe, exalted King of the universe, you are worthy of our praise. You, you are worthy of, you're, you're worthy of everything. You're worthy to receive blessing, honor, power, glory, all the things we read about in Revelation. When, when all of heaven is bowing and worshiping in front of you, saying that you're worthy, that's true. That's a true statement. You are worthy of these things. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and taking good care of us. Lord, would you, Lord, would you build these people? Would you, would you shape every one of us here into, into your army, ready to fight on your battlefield and always ready to give an answer for, uh, for the hope that is within us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us so much, um, so much undeserved love to us. Uh, we say these things in the name of your Son, our Lord. Amen.